I had somebody ask me to write an article on Mean Wives. And so I wrote an article, did a podcast called Mean Wives and Husbands Who Should Love Them. And guess what happened? I got a note asking me to write an article on mean husbands and wives who want to love them. Shocker. Well, of course, I expected that. I was ready to go with the second article, and so now we have both because we are, well, we believe in equality here, and we want to make sure that everybody is happy, and so now there are two articles, and you can read both of them, Mean Wives and Husbands Who Should Love Them, or you can read Mean Husbands and Wives Who Want to Love Them, and that's what this podcast is about. Both husbands and wives can be mean to each other. Do you know why I know that that is true? Well, just let me share from my log perspective, because I have been a mean husband before. This truth is sad, but it's not just sad. It's a call for us to mobilize. You know what you need to mobilize? You need to mobilize your attitude and your action, your actions to come alongside the erring spouse. And how do you do that? How do you care for a mean spouse? And that's what I want to talk about in this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. You can find me in my cyber home, rickthomas.net. It is a sanctification center, a sanctification warehouse We have all kinds of articles and podcasts and videos, and we have forums, and you will probably want to interact with me and my team about this particular podcast and article, and you're welcome to do that. If you want to read the article, you can do that as well. The article in the podcast is the same name, Mean Husbands and Wives Who Want to Love Them, or you can read that other article if you want about Mean Wives. I also have one here titled Diagramming the Heart of the Angry Person because that is part of what's going on here and you need to understand what an angry person is about, what is really going on. You need to be able to diagram the heart of an angry person so that you can come alongside them to help them. And then I have another vital resource here called Forcing someone to change could blow up the relationship. And that is the temptation with us when we have a spouse or a child or a close friend that we want to see change. We can sometimes be tempted to force that to happen, and that would not be good. And and I do want to extend again. If you want to talk, please do that. We have forums that are presented to you, given to you freely by those who support this ministry. And and if you want to get into this a little more deeply, we would love to do it. Let me read to you the question that our supporting member asked. The supporting member said, I liked your Mean Wives article and was able to benefit from it, from it practically. Would it be possible to turn the article around by talking about mean husbands? How can a woman serve a husband who is manipulative, specifically angry and demanding? I was thinking of someone who wants to honor the Lord by being submissive but does not understand how to practice Galatians 6, 1 and 2 in that context. 
Let me read to you, and that's the end of the note. Let me read to you Galatians 6, 1 and 2, so that you'll have a good idea of what it's about. Paul said, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, which means you who have the Spirit, meaning you, you are a Christian. Non-Christians are dead in their trespasses and sin. They are natural men and women. The Spirit is not alive in them, you who are spiritual, Paul says. So we know he's talking about Christians. And for those of you who are spiritual, you should restore kardatizo him in a spirit of gentleness. And then he warns us, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so I want to get into that, but I do want to make one comment because it is a common error that readers make when they read our resources. They say, would it be possible to turn the article around by talking about mean husbands? You can turn any article around, and I think it's important. It it is a little bit surprising to me that people would even ask that question, and And people do say that, especially on social media. They say, well, this applies to the other other gender. Well, of course it does, and anybody should know that. It's it's something that we should be able to intuit. In fact, if if you can't turn it around, if you can't read anything, any good resource, and if and it doesn't matter who it's written to, it can be written to a man or to a woman, to a parent, to a child. For example, Shepherding a Child's Heart is written to parents by Ted Tripp. It's a very good book. I really enjoyed that book. And when I read the book, I mean, what I was thinking is like, well, who cares if you have children? This book is good for me. I can apply this book to myself. Now, if you can't do that, there's something wrong with you and you need help. You really do need help, and I mean that. But if you can't read any resource and not make that distinction, regardless of who they're talking to or who they're talking about, then there's something wrong, and you need to get help. And so it doesn't matter what the article is about on our website, because it's about sanctification. And sometimes I will use, a lot of times, I'll use the, the male gender, you know, he, him, and I'll do that. There's two reasons that I do that, because you don't write him, her, him, her, him, her. That, that's, a, that's, not, that's not cool <laughs> from a writing perspective. But then also I am a guy, and I can write more from my perspective. But I have to have enough faith, that, enough confidence that the people who read can make that distinction. And so it doesn't matter what this article says. Mean wife or mean husband. How about mean person? And that's why I I said here in the opening part that this truth is sad as well as a call to mobilize your attitudes and actions to come alongside the erring spouse, which means either one. How do you do that? How do you care for a mean spouse, I said. And so I I just want you to, for those of you that struggle this way, I, I, I just want to challenge you to see Ask God to help you to take something that wasn't written directly to you and to give you the ability to apply it to yourself. Let's get into it. Mean husbands and wives who want to love them. One of the hardest situations to be in is a place of submission when the person you are to submit to is unkind, uncaring, 
and unloving. This situation is what Peter was addressing in chapter 2 of his first letter. Let me read to you what Peter said, 18 through 20. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 18 through 20, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters. You see the hierarchy there. There's the leader, there's the follower. He's telling the servant, the follower, to be subject to the leader, the master, with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle masters, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. He goes on to say, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it you endure? Question. And then he says, But if when you do good and suffer for it you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now, after Peter lays the groundwork for suffering in a master-servant construct, he gives us the solution. The solution is how to live out the gospel while being persecuted practically. And so how do we practically live out the gospel while being persecuted? Well, if the gospel is not functioning, is not the functioning foundation for your suffering, You'll not be able to endure suffering well. And so what Peter does is he points us to the gospel. Christ, this has to be your foundation. Christ has to be the answer, and you must walk in his steps. You are to follow Christ. That is how you live out the gospel practically when you are being persecuted. Practically living out the gospel as it pertains to unjust suffering It's one of the most challenging things you'll ever do. I suppose somebody could come back and they could say something that, well, that that suffering within a relational construct is not unjust entirely. And I would say, well, you're probably right. In most marriages where one person is mean to the other person, there is perhaps a degree of meanness coming from both spouses. I don't think I could ever recall a counseling situation that I have had with marriage specifically, a marriage in trouble where there was an innocent party. There is almost always a reciprocality effect of sin. But what I don't want to do here is I don't want to dissect who fired the first shot. What I want to do is I want to stick with the questioner's question. And the questioner's question in this context, in this article, this podcast, is how do you serve an unkind husband? It should go without saying, especially if you spend any time reading my body of work, that the first thing you must do is examine the log in your eye. That is the very first step. And I say it over and over again in in many of my resources. And if you do not start there, anything else that flows from that bad start, anything that you try to implement into your relationship will more than likely backfire. It is so easy to become intimidated, fearful, hopeless, regretful, bitter, angry, and even depressed when you believe your marriage ties you to a mean man. The parallel that comes to mind is an unfair prison sentence. Nobody submits to marriage thinking it will be like a prison. I would dare say that most of the people that go in marriage think about happy ever after, that it's going to be some form of bliss. I don't think that people think about it being a prison, but there you sit, 
locked behind the bars of your marriage with no hope of ever being released and to compound your misery. The warden of your prison is a mean-spirited, manipulating, and unkind person. The first thing an inmate must do in a situation like this is to embrace the reality of the situation. I'm not talking about resignation, but I'm talking about embracing the reality of the situation, being clear that this is the situation. I think sometimes we can be that way when somebody sins against us. We don't embrace the reality of it. Instead, we're surprised. Like, why did they do that? Well, they did that because that's what sinners do. And so for the spouse of a mean man, the possibility is that he may never change. And as hard as it is to hear this, that potential is where you have to begin. You really do have to fully embrace the reality of the situation. And part of the reality of the situation is that it's possible that he may never change. Now, I know that if you're if you're in that situation, and there are many wives, there are many spouses, men too, who are listening to this podcast, and they know that at some level. That possibility of their marriage never changing is not foreign to them. They've thought about it before. The difficulty is accepting that possibility, fully embracing that possibility. And that's what rubs hard against what you really want. The truth is that if you begin from any other place, you're going to be like Red Redding in Shawshank Redemption, who repeatedly came up to his parole hearing, hoping to be released, but only to be disappointed one more time. And every time he sat before the group, he expected, this is the day, and he was disappointed And after a while, he saw that hope just became dangerous, and that's not a place that you want to go. And so you need to fully embrace all the possibilities of what could be happening here. Now, some of you may raise an eyebrow to my negativity, and I understand that. But if you do not begin with and embrace the current unchanging reality, you will be set up for daily disappointment until you finally turn into a bitter, angry, and cynical person. You see, Jesus asked his father to let his suffering pass from him. There was a moment, a momentary thought that the father would deliver him from the suffering, that his father would set him free, but the suffering that the father set before Jesus, he would not remove, and we learn about that in Hebrews 12. That was his preference on that soul-crushing night. That was Jesus' preference on that soul-crushing night to be set free. But then he decided it would be best to embrace the unchangeable situation, and he did. His acceptance, and this is, it gets harder. It really does. You see, his acceptance led to more suffering that only escalated until the political authorities crucified him on a tree. And so when I talk about your reality never changing I'm talking about the idea of you hoping for a lifestyle that suits how you think things should be. And that's really what I'm talking about here. Desiring a lifestyle to suit your preferences does not make you a bad person. It makes you a human. Jesus wanted a better life, and that's why he prayed that way in 2242 of Luke. 
there's a video that went around a few years ago of Victoria Osteen who talked about a better life. And in that little short video snippet, she said that, you know, happiness is really not for God. God, happiness is for you. God wants you to be happy. And that's two different worldviews. Jesus had a way of thinking about life, and Victoria Osteen had a way of thinking about life. They both have prayed to God for a better life. But the difference between Jesus and Victoria is Jesus had an otherworldly view of what your best life could look like for him. And this tension will be your challenge. Do you want to walk in the steps of Jesus or do you want to walk in the steps of Victoria? And I do remember a lady saying that clearly in counseling or saying it in her own way. Many, many years ago, she, she said, I, I don't care about this suffering thing and what you're talking about. All I want is my husband to love me. And she was very clear. She wanted her best life now. She didn't want to lose her best life now. But Jesus had to lose his best life now so that he could have a better life later. Both of them, Jesus and Victoria, want a good life But the definition of good is worlds apart. Jesus said in 1733 of Luke, Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Jesus gave up on his desire for how his life could be by embracing the radicalism of the gospel. He adopted a fuller expression of the gospel, which cuts against the grain of humanistic thinking. You must get to this spot if you want to be free. And I know it's hard. I have been there. The life I have now is not the life that I desired. I had another kind of life in view many, many years ago. And that is not the life that God chose to give me. The author of the narrative was writing a different narrative, and I had to fully embrace what he was writing in my script. And I I come to realize that if I don't fully embrace the unchanging situation, I will be that old, angry, frustrated, bitter, cynical person. I have stood on the edge of time and looked into the hopelessness of my future and saw nothing but more of the same, lonely, unchangeable darkness. And that's the way I used to describe it to my friends. What do you see? I see, I see nothing but darkness. I stand and I peer into my future, and it's just dark and unchanging. And the more that I kicked against it, the more an evil stick stirred the bitterness in my heart. It was when I knelt, and I literally did this. I knelt and I pleaded through many tears for the Lord to forgive me for the angry grumbling that flowed from my disappointed soul. It was at that point that I began to change. My idea of good and the Lord's idea of good were colliding in my situation, and I did not like it. I prayed many times for the Lord to change my circumstances. I prayed for the Lord to kill me, to be honest with you. But he would not budge. And this is, if you continue to read in 1 Peter chapter 2, you will read this. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that ye might follow in his steps. 
as I practically embraced the call to die, I began to find a new way of living that ultimately set me free. This attitude is your first step. I've spent a long time on it, but it is critical because many people will read this or listen to this and they will say yes and they're ready to move on, but you just don't do that. It takes a while to get to this position of contrite brokenness where you have truly been transformed on the inside. And if you cannot make it to this place in your unchangeable situation, your life will continue to turn in constant shades of disappointment. John said in 1224, or Jesus said in 1224 of John, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. When your heart is indeed broken by the Lord, for the Lord, you are ready to serve the Lord You cannot give a courtesy nod to this truth. You must experience genuine brokenness that is authenticated by how you respond to your husband. In fact, that is the test. If you want to know if you are broken and that you are hearing what I'm saying, not just hearing, but it's real, the way that you will know that, it will be authenticated by how you respond to your husband. Paul said your restorative efforts in Galatians 6 towards your husband or towards your spouse, if you are a husband and your wife is mean, your efforts must come from a spirit of gentleness. The only way to have God-given, Christ-magnifying, and spirit-empowered gentleness is for you to die to yourself, dead Life comes from death, which is what Jesus was saying in John 12, 24. And if you're not genuinely dead to your agendas and motives, the presence of Christ will not see the light of day. If you die, you will produce fruit. The way you can assess your fruitfulness is by taking the fruit test in Galatians 5. And so let me give that to you. You want to authenticate yourself to see if you are have truly died to yourself. If you have died, Jesus said in John 12, 24, you'll produce fruit. Are you ready to take the, the test, the genuineness of your death? Here's the fruit test. Love. Let me ask you a question. Talking about the fruit of the Spirit. First one mentioned love. Does your husband feel your affection in practical ways? For example, does your body language give off a fragrance of undeserved love toward your husband in a similar way in which you receive the undeserved love of Jesus? We're taking the fruit test here to test the genuineness of your death because only when you die can you produce fruit. How about joy? Does your attitude manifest a joy that transcends your troubles? When the works of God in you are higher than the actions of a mean spouse, which one has more significant power over you, the works of Christ or the works of your spouse? Joy. There is peace. Number three, is your soul practically anchored by the peace of God, which, like your joy, surpasses human understanding? How is God's peace stabilizing you in a dysfunctional marriage? And then patience. 
Here's your question. The call from Jesus is to forgive forever. In Matthew 18, perhaps your husband is not asking for forgiveness, but that should not interfere with an attitude of forgiveness that you can demonstrate to him. How is that working for you? The love test, the joy test, peace test, and the patience test. A forgiving forever person. Kindness. The most effective way to help your husband change is by being kind to him, not mean. We are not called to live from an eye-for-an-eye worldview. Is your kindness towards your husband consistently greater than your desire to be mean to him? And then there is goodness. Are you regularly befuddling your husband by being good? Jesus was a good man, and it was apparent to all. His goodness confused even those who acted out the most heinous things against him. As you read in Matthew 27, verses 3 through 4. And then there's faithfulness. The object of your faith will determine the quality of it. Your life is not about a better faith, but a better object. The strength of your faith is determined by where you have placed it, the object. If your faith is more in a desire for a good marriage rather than the Lord, your hope will waver every time you are disappointed by your husband. What has the power to interfere with your faith in the Lord? The object of your faith cannot be your marriage. It must be the Lord. The object of your faith will determine the quality of your faith. And then there is gentleness. Your husband's meanness means that sin has captured him. You can yell at him if you want to, but Paul's call is for you to try a gentler approach. Would your husband characterize your attitude and actions toward him as gentle? I do, I do want you to remember what the uh, person was asking when they wrote. They, they said that, I, you know, I read your article, Mean Wives, and I, I liked it. Would it be possible to turn the article around by talking about mean husbands? How can a woman serve a husband who is manipulative? manipulative? And she says, I want to be submissive, but I do not understand how to practice Galatians 6, 1 and 2 in that context. And that's what we're talking about, how to implement Galatians 6 in this context of a mean husband marriage. And gentleness is one of the things, is the thing that Paul said in that text. Your husband's meanness means that sin has captured him. You can yell at him if you want to, but Paul's call is for you to try a gentler approach. My question is, would your husband characterize your attitude and actions toward him as gentle? And then finally, the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Anger is not strength, but weakness. Anybody can be, become sinfully angry with anyone. That takes little power or energy. Some of the weakest people in the world are the most upset. There is a power that is over our power. And that kind of power comes from the Lord. Angry is power, but God's power is over our power. Is God's power stronger than your power, than your desire to be angry at your husband? And so I've given you the fruit test because Jesus said in John 12, 24, that if the fruit, if the wheat, grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it dies alone. It remains alone. But if it dies... I think I butchered up that text, but he says, if it dies, it bears much fruit. 
And so if you want to bear much fruit, you must die. Therefore, I am examining uh, the genuineness of your death by looking at love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the fruit. How are you doing when measured by this test, and how do you need to change? It does not matter who the mean person is in your marriage. You may adequately apply these things to either spouse. The appeal to walk in the Spirit, which can be affirmed by how you live out the fruit of the Spirit, is not gender-specific. If your spouse is a mean person, begin addressing what God, which God, capital G-O-D or little G-O-D, has the most control over, over your heart. Either the Lord will be God or your spouse will be. You will know the answer to that question by the attitudes and the actions of your life as evidenced by how you live out the Galatians passage that I just walked through. And as you address the questions presented, it is imperative for you to remember you were never designed to designed or encouraged to fight the harshness that is in your life alone. Nobody should do this. And so if you are struggling in your marriage, my appeal to you is to find a community of people who will hold you up in prayer, hold you up in encouragement, and help you to work through these issues. There is a chance your spouse will never change, but it doesn't mean that you have to be stuck. You can be the freest person in the world, even when bound in chains, even the chains of a marital prison. This worldview is one of the most radical expressions of the gospel. If you need to talk, please let us be one of those practical resources. Let us serve you. Come to our ministry. Ask for help. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.